Hello, this is Kristen Baber, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show where R2-D2 may be the ultimate ride-or-die droid, but he's still going to snitch on us for being bad podcasters. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number K10B. She'll know that when she puts on the red shirt and writes about the good, bad, and the empire, that she didn't leave her family destitute and without hope. Because Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has her back. And what's left of her Arabesh stamped blog. All right, guys, our guest today is an author and associate editor of StarWars.com. Not only with timely articles and reviews of really cool Star Wars content, but she's also interviewed other members of the Star Wars universe and, you know, Lucasfilms and all those great, wonderful things. So there should be two things that are obvious about this introduction. Number one, our guest is probably used to being on the other side of the microphone or the other side of the interview. Uh, and number two, I just wanted to see how many times I could say Star Wars in an introduction. And so far, we're at four. Okay, Star Wars, that's five. Anyway, uh, let's all take a moment to welcome Kristen Baver to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. Star Aww. Wars. Six. Star Wars. Aww. Uh, yeah, we're always thrilled to be able to talk with somebody who's out doing the the the, the things in the Star Wars world. Doing the nerds uh, work. I, yeah, people who are actually doing the, the real work, we're just sitting here giggling. Wouldn't it be cool to talk to them? Um, Today's but, uh, drinking game is brought to you by Star Wars. <laughs> oh man, is it as bad as the bottom game? Bottom. <laughs> but uh yeah see what i did there uh but we're always happy to talk with somebody in the, who's who's out in the star wars universe and has roots in the fandom and it always makes for a fun conversation because i'm a massive star wars fan and i just bring these two along for fun but one thing i always want to know uh, about our star wars themed guests is what was your entry point into the star wars universe and what keeps you coming back mm, that's a great question um so my entry point is probably a very similar story to all three of you and most people listening or watching. Um, when I was a kid, I got action figures for Christmas one year, and they were buff Chewbacca from Power of the Force and uh, his friend R2-D2. And I cannot now recall, because I didn't know how often I would be asked about this specific moment in time in my life. I cannot now recall if I got the action figures first and then watched the films or if I had seen some of the films and then also got the action figures because it was all kind of happening in, in that same time and space. But I do distinctly remember getting those action figures um, because little did I know that that was about to start a lifelong and very expensive habit of acquiring more Star Wars action figures. Um, but also just getting that entry point of seeing the films for the first time. This was just a hair before the special editions. They, we had them on VHS. We watched them on the sci-fi channel when they were available on the sci-fi channel. Um, I remember even though we had them on VHS, if it would come on the sci-fi channel, I would just kind of like stop everything else I was doing and watch, you know, from that point forward. It was, they were those movies, uh, you know, in my house growing up. And what I didn't know at the time was that my parents... Um, and my sister, who's five years older than me, had already entered that universe, and I was the latecomer as the youngest. Um, my sister had the vintage Yoda puppet from when Empire Strikes Back came out. My, I believe my dad had Splinter of the Mind's Eye in paperback from, you know, when that originally came out 
pre-Empire Strikes Back. And my mom had the LP version of the soundtrack to A New Hope. So, you know, all three of them, they had other items too, but like if I had to pinpoint, you know, one thing that made me realize as a child, oh, this thing I feel like I just discovered and is brand new and is, you know, it's actually 20 years old, but it's fine, is something that all three of you love too, separately. That's so (laughs) weird. Um, But to answer the second part of your question, so that's kind of the, the the basis of that love. And I remember going to see the special editions in the theater and feeling just so elated that I could finally see these movies that I loved, you know, on the big screen as intended. And, you know, and then shortly thereafter, we got new Star Wars movies. And I was like, this is the best time. What? Um, but I think what keeps me coming back, because there's certainly been times in my life where, you know, post prequels I thought okay well that was fun now I'm a little bit older you know I'm gonna do more serious things and right see how that worked out (laughs) and uh you know kind of moved off from it moved you away to other fandoms interests you know whatnot um but it never really left me and so when Force Awakens came out and all of a sudden we had new action figures and new stories and new characters to love. Um, I always kind of describe it as that moment in Ratatouille where I was like sitting in the theater watching Force Awakens, you know, just the Star Wars came up on screen and it's like all of a sudden I'm 10 years old again and I'm sitting in that theater and I'm just so excited to be there. And I couldn't believe how lucky I was that to get to experience an all new Star Wars story again, because I thought that time was over and I thought, you know, all of those things had passed me by. So I think, you know, part of what keeps me coming back or as part of it now post, you know, that, that resurgence of love for it in 2015 is, you know, that we do have this embarrassment of riches of new storytelling coming yes. out of star wars in books and comics uh, in series form you know for a number of years in you know that that christmas time what i always think of as the christmas time movie you know but the december release of a new star wars film for five years in a row um you know just just so so lucky um well solo came out in may actually now i'm i'm, I'm fact checking myself as i'm talking <laughs> not every not every december for five years but you know what I mean, you know, we had films for a number of years, we have series, we have books, comics, you know, there's just so much really cool Star Wars stuff coming out. But I don't, you know, as I'm talking through it now, I'm not even sure that it's the fact that we have new content, I, you know, and I don't think it's the fact that we have new content that is what really you know keeps me engaged with it as much as it is the quality of those stories and how relatable those characters continue to be and how much I just love being immersed in that galaxy and feeling very confident while I'm watching those things that yes, these, these things could really happen. These, these characters could be real people. This all feels, you know, it, it, it passes the test for me of, yes, I absolutely have, you know, checked my disbelief at the door. This is entirely real. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I identify with so much of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference for me is growing up when I was real little, uh, we, we, it was just my mom, my brother and I, so money was really tight. We didn't have a lot of the toys, but I had a neighbor whose 
you know, basically got anything and everything he wanted. So I was always over at his house and he had like, you know, the big play sets and everything. And, you know, because this is right around the time where the Return of the Jedi was coming out and all the, you know, the really big, cool toys were coming out. And I mean, he had like the indoor play sets and all these different things. And yeah, so I played at his house a lot because I was very, you know, Empire Strikes Back was my entry point. Mm -hmm. And that has left such an indelible mark on my life moving forward. So a lot of what you just said all kind of resonates with me because every time I go to the theater for a Star Wars movie, doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent. As soon as the the crawl starts, oh, um, that, that you know, first note of the the theme yeah. song hits and the tears start. Like, yeah, it gets me. I don't, I don't have any tears, but I do have giggles. I, I may have giggled in a, in, a, in a movie theater once or twice when it started off, but that's a whole different story. So, so did anyone else have these six foot cardboard cutout of Jar Jar? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Just me. You know, <laughs> but I distinctly remember I was a, a member of the Star Wars fan club around the time of special editions and the prequels. And I remember you. Do you? Did you want? Did you uh, read Star Wars Insider at that time? Did you get it at that point? Because it had like that. No, I did not. So it had a sh like a catalog in the middle of the magazine, and it would be like, "Oh, would you like to order some cardboard standees?" And I was always like, "I would like to do that, but I don't know where to to put them in my room." <laughs> and so I never actually got any of them. Uh, but I ordered so many T-shirts from that catalog, and I still <laughs> have some of them because the other kind of weird magic of that time is you know even though Star Wars is you know ostensibly. For, for kids first, you know, it's an all ages type of experience. Everything was sized adult men's. So I was like this 10 year old girl who was shopping from this catalog. And I was like, I guess I'm a men's small. I don't know. And so I would have these enormous Star Wars. <laughs> but now they still fit me. And some of them, you know, still exist and are still in really good shape. And so like, it's kind of a, a weird blessing that nothing was sized appropriately for me at the time, because now I still have some of my original t-shirts and I've actually worn one of them for, uh, for hosting this week. Cause it just, delights me to no end that this piece of like personal vintage ephemera now can be part of you know, my work wardrobe to to go to lucasfilm that's fantastic i think if i had you know because i grew up in a, a small rural area and you know small rural school and i don't i don't think our library had you know star wars insider or anything like that i didn't know it existed till much later which is probably a good thing because the money that I did have as a teenager <laughs> from working my job would have gone completely to all Star Wars things. It's and like your um, job does now. You know what? Shush. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not I'm not at my actual office right now. I'm I'm visiting some friends out of state. But if we were at if I was actually at home in my studio, my office, my whole wall behind me is nothing but Star Wars Funko Pops and you yeah. know. So Although I love that even though you're not at home, you still have the Return of the Jedi poster behind you somehow. Like you're still on brand. <laughs> well, if, if it was to turn a little bit, there's also the Empire Strikes Back. There's the New Hope poster over there. A couple of lightsabers up on the wall. My buddy's a geek too, so it helps. Nice. I like it. Yeah, and I love too that like you were talking about the, the your entry point into Star Wars. And I don't remember watching Star Wars for the first time. I was so young. My brothers are 10 and 12 years older than me. My parents are Star Wars fans. Like Star Wars was just a thing. Like I don't, I legitimately do not remember watching the original trilogy for the first time. But when episode one came out and my brothers are like, hey, you want to go see this movie with us? I'm like, yes. And I was eight, 
mm. right? Eight, something like that. When did yeah, yeah, you're ridiculously young. Ninety nine, and I think that is probably the perfect age to experience that movie because you're like right on the cusp of being exactly the same age as Anakin and really right. being able to teleport yourself into that position. And then when you're introduced to Jar Jar as, I guess I was, I would have been seven. When you're introduced to Jar Jar as a seven or eight year old, he's hilarious. Like that was a good entry point with reviving my love for the, for the fandom with the yay. And then now with the Obi-Wan series, I have a four-year-old daughter. I look at little Leia with the, oh my gosh, it's my kid. <laughs> like, that is that spunk so is what oh my gosh yeah that so spunk is what i have to deal with that is but then the no if i can if i can raise my daughter to be like leia yes. to then be general leia i'm like yes yes we can do this like i i love that it, it just it it doesn't matter where you are in your life it's still star wars also i love that you positioned it as you were seven and you like rediscovered your love for it <laughs> that feels very much like you know when you're seven you feel like you've lived such a long life already <laughs> and you know you're seven <laughs> right and I think like, it was just like the it was it was new and shiny again and the toys were new and it was like hey this is a thing this is cool and yeah totally at exactly. seven you think that you've lived so long though <laughs> yeah well and that was a really interesting time to be a fan because I remember the toys came out unless I'm misremembering, which is entirely possible on this fine Friday. Uh, but I believe the toys came out before the film debuted. Mm -hmm. so oh, yeah. All these characters and you were like, who is Padme? Who is Jar Jar? And you had no idea. But you were just like buying them based on the design and mm -hmm. hope you would fall in love with them. And Totally fell in love with Darth Maul before I saw the movie. You know, that design is next level amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Understood. Iconic. Understood. So I was looking through your list of articles on StarWars.com, which is an impressive list of things that you've talked about, that you've written about. I was personally quite entertained by the Pan Solo article. Um, um, the, yeah. the idea of making a giant bread solo was just fantastic <clears throat> to me. Um, and then your most recent article about the costume design for Andor, because yeah. those costumes were gorgeous. And that is such a cool article. And I know that as as an interviewer you're you're you know that the what's your favorites question is not really a great question and asking what's your favorite is impossible mm. but if you had to choose a favorite of the articles that you've written oh do you have a favorite of your articles or the one I, that you're like the most proud of i do but it's kind of a a gimme when you when you think about it in context i think uh, and i definitely have like a probably like a top list of, you know, they're most memorable to me or they're, you know, some of my favorites either because of the way they came out or the experience of getting to do the interview. But my absolute top favorite article of all of the things I've written for StarWars.com is an article that we did for the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. And we got to interview George Lucas about <laughs> Empire. And so Sold. that's my... You know, it easily rises to the top of mm -hmm. my favorites, um, you know, both because it's George Lucas. <laughs> I mm -hmm. didn't expect to ever get to, you know, necessarily interview him. It was such a great challenge as an interviewer because I thought, okay, well, he's been talking about this for 45 years. What can we possibly bring to this interview to ask him about that isn't going to bore him, that is really going to 
you know, engage and, you know, get some really interesting answers. And I believe there was one question that I asked that he actually, you know, had said, oh, I don't think I've, I've been asked that before. And it was something about if my memory serves and my memory might not serve because this was like 2020. But Fair I think enough. The question about when he knew that Yoda was working, because, you know, if you teleport back to when they're making Empire Strikes Back, no one yet knows that Yoda is going to be such a sensation and no one knows that, yes, what is essentially a Muppet can carry this extremely heavy part of the story all about, you know, the force and how important it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was the question, but, you know, that is, you know, my, just my top article personal favorite article uh, of all the things I've written just because uh, you know, I have so many sense memories too of like doing that interview and then getting done with that interview and thinking, Oh, I hope I actually ask good questions because you know, sometimes you're just like so in the zone and so focused that you just like your, your brain turns off and mm -hmm. then you get back to reality and you're like, huh, glad we recorded that. And I can <laughs> later and see what I did there. Because I have no memories now. Um, but, and I'm really just happy too, with the way that article turned out. Um, and I was so glad that we got to celebrate empire because empire is my personal favorite movie, mm -hmm. uh, of all the star Wars movies. When I was a kid, it was return of the Jedi. And now as a, you know, as I've gotten older, uh, it's, it's turned into empires. You know, if I had to only watch one star Wars movie for the rest of my life, I would pick empire every single time because it's a great movie it i love that that your your brain does the mind wipe thing too there have been so many times that we've gotten done with an interview and my husband's like so how did it go i'm like i have no idea i right. think it went good <laughs> yeah. like, but i think it's a testament to being super focused on the subject and in the moment and you know so you're you're trying not to kind of drift off you're really trying to just be engaged um, and make sure that you're asking good follow-up questions. And in order to do that, you have to listen really carefully. Mm -hmm. And so all of that skill set, for me at least, you know, ends up being at the end of it. I go, well, I hope that was good. And then I listen <laughs> back to it. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Kathleen, but I will listen back to an interview. Uh, this happened a lot, actually, when I was transcribing for The Art of Star Wars The High Republic, because we did like 25 different interviews for that or, or more. And so I would be listening back and I'd be like, oh, no, I should have asked them this question. And then literally the next question is that question. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in my mind, I thought, oh, no, I totally forgot to ask them this important thing. But, you know, your your brain is wired in a very specific way. And so, like, my brain was still going in the same pattern of thought mm -hmm. that had been going yep, through. I've done that. <laughs> but, you know, once again, uh, and it just it happens so frequently, I think, where I'm just so plugged into the moment and trying to be plugged into the moment that when I listen back to it, I have almost no memory of some of these questions that I asked <laughs> myself. But, oh, yes, you did, in fact, ask the obvious to you follow-up question. Good job. Pass me. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's been many times where when I've been watching playback of a video of something that we've done, and I'm like, it's almost like, uh, oh, God, I have no memory of this place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> And just very glad that that uh, you know either Kathleen or Nick saved me on something, or that I actually did ask the secondary question that I, the follow up question that I should have asked uh, you know to somebody's response, or I had the appropriate response to something. Because half the time there'll be you know the question is out there and they're giving the response, and I'm I'm listening to it and I'm going, oh, that went a different direction. I 
golly, what did I do? And I'd like fast forward into it, you know, try to, oh, okay. I did okay. I did okay. I've had a couple of times. I've had a couple of times too, where like, I'm thinking about the, oh man, this is the follow-up question I should ask. And then whoever we're interviewing answers it before I asked it. And I'm like, huh, it must've been the right question then. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. I love that kind of like weird magical like hive mind or it's like it's a Vulcan mind meld mm-hmm. some sort where you're in an interview and you're asking questions and then you think oh man I gotta I've gotta segue them into this next bit and then they say something that so perfectly segues into the next yes. question you ask them and you're just like we are on the level today we are yes I and, love that moment and, and speaking of segues I should still buy one of those. Do they still make? Did I just do it for you, Nick? Did I segue into the next question you wanted to ask? I mean, you were segueing into a segue, so it was segue. (laughs) So we've discussed your entry into Star Wars, and we've also discussed something that is also dear to you. So, what was it that has made you to get into the career path of being a writer? Ooh, all right. How did you end up in the Star Wars specifically? So I. I do believe there is such a thing as luck. (laughs) It can not only be luck, it is also the result of a tremendous amount of hard work and effort and persistence and patience. Um, But luck and good timing are definitely such a big part of it. But it's interesting because for me, I was actually, I identified as a writer before I identified as a Star Wars fan because I discovered how much I enjoyed writing when I was uh, a, a little kid, about seven or eight. And I would just, you know, create my own characters and draw them and then create, you know, little storylines for them. I had my own like little uh, comic that I would write about these two bears. Uh, They didn't, it was like four panels. So they didn't get much done in any of these comics. (laughs) It was was a a thing that I tried. Um, And I just, I loved the feeling of being so hyper-focused and immersed in a story of my own creation and, uh, you know, just being in that space where you're creating characters. And then um, I think this is something that a lot of writers can identify with, but you you create the characters and you might set out thinking that you know where your story is going to go. And then sometimes you're right in the middle of it and the character takes a left turn and you're like, hmm, didn't know we were going over here, but let's see where this leads. And it's almost like there's two separate people at play, which sounds a little crazy, but you know, it's like, you're the writer, you're steering things, but then your character makes a decision you hadn't foreseen and you just kind of run with it and you see where it takes you. Um, So this is a really long rambly answer to say that I loved writing when I was a kid. And when I got older, my parents suggested that, uh, you know, if I wanted to be a writer, I might want to study uh, a very practical type of writing so that I could have a job with a 401k and health insurance while I was writing <laughs> and not just hoping, uh, you know, to get published, which, you know, is a very parental type of response. Um, but I, I agreed with it. And, uh, so I studied professional writing, uh, you know, which was just a number of things it was business writing. It was PR, it was, uh, newspaper journalism, Uh, or just journalism in general, but where I fell in love with journalism was in newspapers. And so that was my career for a number of years. And yeah, and it's just, it's been a very weird trajectory. Like five, 10 years ago, I didn't know this job could exist. 
And so I wouldn't have set out determined to do this job because I didn't even know it was an option. Um, but it's been a lot of, you know, trial and error. I worked in newspaper journalism and then I was starting to feel like, you know, I was getting a little burned out. And also I just wanted to do something a little bit different. And I started just, you know, kind of trying on different things as a freelancer. And I did some magazine journalism and I wrote for some websites and I kind of, you know, fell into uh, what I think would be considered like entertainment journalism a, a bit by accident because I had just rediscovered my love for Star Wars. And I was like, what would happen if I just wrote about the things that I loved? And that was a job. Like, could that be a job? And so I just started doing that. And very luckily then, uh, you know, did start freelancing for StarWars.com first. And then after about a year and a half to get hired on full time to work as associate editor for the website. But it's awesome. interesting because, you know, that path doesn't make a lot of sense on paper <laughs> when you look at it. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think I could be doing the writing that I'm doing today without that as the as the trajectory because I learned so much about good writing and interviewing and leads and, you know, everything else in the journalism space that I still apply every single day to everything I'm doing um, for StarWars.com. And then also, you know, it's just been such a delight for that to come full circle where, you know, when I was a kid and my parents were saying, well, why don't you get a job where you're writing, but then you can write books in your free time. And now I'm have a job where I'm writing and I'm writing books in my free time. And <laughs> so it's just, you know, it has worked out tremendously well, um, and I feel so grateful and lucky that, uh, you know, I have gotten to this point, um, you know, but again, you know, it's, it's perseverance, it's persistence, it's putting in the time. And then it's also just luck of being at the right place at the right time when all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, you get to do the thing that you maybe didn't even know you always wanted to do. But now that I look back on it, I think, Oh no, of course this, if I, if someone had told me, Hey, this could be an option. I'd be like, yes, sign me up for that. I want to do that. How do I get to that? <laughs> I want that one. Yeah. I, as you were telling your story, I couldn't help, but imagine like you were saying, like almost a different story for yourself. But, and I was thinking of like small town journalists and, and how all of a sudden she starts writing about lightsabers and using the force in a story that has nothing to do with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is funny because like, uh, Tim, you were saying, you know, you grew up in a rural area. I grew up in a rural area and uh, you worked in like a, a small town community, mm -hmm. you know, daily newspaper space. And so you know, when, when I left that job to move to San Francisco, I had several <laughs> conversations with people because, you know, I, I was working a specific beat. And so I had to go to them and say like, Hey, I'm not gonna be around anymore. You know, I'm handing you off to this person, you know, finish off whatever stories I had worked, mm -hmm. I had been working on. And I know a couple of them were like the big city, you're going to San Francisco. Are you going to be okay? That's, <laughs> that's so far away. Um, so it's, it's, it's been really funny to kind of see that, you know, mentality mm -hmm. and then for some other people, because I was certainly, you know, a little bit uh, daunted by it, you know, not only because of where the job was that was driving that decision, but which is kind of funny and ridiculous. But also I was like, you, you know, obviously I'm, I have to do this thing. Why would I not? 
do this thing. Um, but so some of their concerns, like, Ooh, are you sure about San Francisco? It's like, don't know. We'll find out when I get there. <laughs> it's going to be great. I hope, <laughs> you know, not totally unfounded. Well, actually that was really good segue. So we did there, uh, into my next question. So, uh, you mentioned some of your, some of your articles that you've written, you've written, you talked about the books that you've written, uh, and you have several star Wars books that are, are some really cool, um, uh, reference style books, uh, you know, about, what kind of what's going on in uh, different parts of the Star Wars universe, whether it's about the Skywalker family or it's about the art of the High Republic, which I checked that book out recently. That is fantastic. Um, uh, but they're all been very well reviewed for the way that they've been researched and they've been put together. So kudos to you for that. That's that's awesome. I think uh, I, I always say in this day and age of the uh, uh, the negative nature. And if you can get anything over a four star rating, you've done something right. But but all the books of yours that I looked at had between a four point eight and a four point nine rating. So the closer you get to five, you're 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 pushing perfection there, kiddo. So well done. So my question here for you is how do you go about picking what the topic is for your reference work? Because uh, you know, you, you you do have such a wide variety of things that you've talked about in your reference books. But then also out of those reference books that you've done, you know, any the topics that you've chosen, which one was the most personal project for you that that you did? Because, A, I liked this, but I also have a lot of interest in this particular topic. I'm going to start at the end of that question, I think, with my answer. Fire away. Um, the, the one that so far has been most personal to me is a book that isn't out yet. But that we can talk about ooh. is I know ooh spoilers not really uh, it's coming out next year and it's called Star Wars 100 Objects and it's the most personal book so far for me because it's a book that I pitched that I really really wanted to do and that really kind of cements my love for a couple different facets of you know both writing and Star Wars and prop builders and you know, telling stories in universe because you know, it makes it feel like you're you continue to be immersed in the Star Wars galaxy. So I think that's probably my personal, the one not my personal favorite, but you know the one that is most personal for me. Um, you know because it was something that I was really driven to to pursue. Um, but you know I will say a lot of these books. Um, you know, come about be through so many different conversations where, uh, you know, I might not have been the one to pitch it, but, you know, someone else within the, the sphere said, oh, we really need, we should have a book like this who could do that. You know, and my name got, got lobbed into it, uh, you know, which is always a little stunning to me when it happens. And, you know, of course I find out about it because I get approached and they say, Hey, do you want to write this book? And this actually happened with art of uh, Star Wars, the higher Republic, where I got the email and it was subject line, the art of Star Wars, the higher Republic. And I thought, Oh good. I'm so glad they're doing one of those. This is great. And then I had to read the email to actually see that. No, they're not doing it. You're doing it. If you want to do it, <laughs> because someone needs to write this book, they're just saying, Hey, we have all this art who could, who could drive this, who could, who could write this story. Um, so I've just been, uh, you know, tremendously lucky, I think, in getting offered a lot of really cool projects that pair so well with my skill set. But a lot of that is also knowing a lot of the, the folks who are 
um, you know, driving some of those decisions and uh, being very lucky to get, you know, my name put into that particular goblet of fire. I'm mixing all the fandoms today. The Vulcan mind. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> like it's all just coming together. Um, That's okay. I, I referenced Lord of the Rings earlier, so we're all good. You're all good. We, we welcome all the references. Uh, oh, absolutely. The more the merrier. Yes. But I will say, aside from 100 Objects, Skywalker was... They're, they're all kind of really personal to me in different ways. Skywalker was really personal because, you know, when I came onto that project, it was just this idea of, hey, the Skywalker saga is done. So how do we celebrate the family? And, you know, what could we, how could we write this book? And immediately I felt like, let me get in there and pretend like this family is real and just write this entirely from that perspective. And, you know, as if they're like the Royals equivalent but in the Star Wars galaxy. So, you know, that felt very personal because, uh, you know, and because it's my first book. <laughs> it's my first Star Wars book. And so it's like that first child syndrome where it's you're my like, baby. Always be my favorite for those reasons. <laughs> what? Yeah, um, fair enough. I can see that. But then, you know, Art of was another really interesting experience. And I'm I'm glossing over a couple other books here you know no shade to them love year by year uh year by year was a different beast because it was an update to an existing book so it was very much you know here is here's the format that's already been laid out you know make sure you're covering all of the the newest events but you know not a super heavy lift because all of the great folks who'd come before me had you know done that part of the work of how do we even do this how do we approach this how do we design this you know all laid out for me so much simpler process. Uh, but then Art of was really interesting because, you know, of course there's been an Art of series for a number of years in the recent iteration through Abrams specifically, there's mm -hmm. been an Art of series since Force Awakens. And because this was part of that kind of collection, I was looking at what came before and then really trying to, to figure out, okay, how do we make a publishing initiative, a publish, you know, a publishing led initiative like the High Republic fit into this space and still, you know, make good sense with all of these productions that are really following, you know, a very specific format of pre-production, production, post-production, post um, you know, within the storytelling. I don't know if I even answered your question. Oh, you, <laughs> oh, did. you did very much so. And I, I, I love it because I, you know, I can see why it, you have to put a bit of yourself into everything you do, because if you don't, you're, you're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be fun. And especially because of something Star Wars related, it's something you appreciate and you're going to, I can see the, why you'd have certain levels of attachment or involvement to to each different project that you do. But it, it's nice to know that there are ones like even with this, there are interviews that we do. I, I love every episode that we've put out. Um, you know, I, I have attachment to everything that I've done, but there are a couple where, you know, where. I was, you know, the 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 twelve year old kid sitting here going, "Hi, thanks for talking to me. This is cool." <laughs> Sam Witwer. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Sam came on, and I was, I had to like shut off my camera for a couple seconds just so that I could compose myself. <laughs> I was I was completely fanboying, you know, off screen like it's okay. You can talk to him; it'll be all right. So, you produce a lot of people to jelly, so understandable. Yeah, and you and Sam Witwer, me and Will Wheaton, like yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, we had such a good time with him. If we ever get Felicia Day on, I might. But, right. Um... Oh, no. If we get Felicia Day on, I'll just be like, nah, I have forgotten how to talk. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to be a thing. It will be. So. 
do put so much of yourself, I think, into into your work if you're passionate about it, if it's something that you really care about too on that personal level. Um, and I think with Skywalker in particular too, because it was my first book and because I felt like like I had to rewrite the emails to that editor so many times because they were just all in caps. And I was like, he's going to think I'm screaming at him, but I'm just really excited and I need him to know. And then I was like, okay, calm down. And I think by the final like third revision of this email, it was like one word was in all caps. And I think it was like, I would absolutely love to do that. But you know, I, I, I feel like when I was writing that book, well, no, I, I know when I was writing that book, that I had the feeling that this could be the only chance I ever get to do one of these. Uh, you know, there's never a guarantee that it's going to to work, that they're going to like it, that it's going to do well, you know, that you're ever going to get this shot again. So I thought, okay, let's make it count. And I just put, you know, everything I could into that book during that process uh, with the idea that, you know, I hope I get to do more of these. I hope I get to write other books, but if this is the only book I ever get to write in this space, going to make it count. Excellent. Uh, uh, real quick, do you know when your Star Wars 100 objects is coming out? I'm going to say it's April 2023. Okay. Yeah, it looks like Amazon saying April 4th, so That sounds right. <laughs> She's like, "Yes, go with that. That's the one. We'll go with that. That yes. sounds good." Yes. I know it's right around Celebration Europe. My brain currently is like, just get to the end of 2022. I know, <laughs> but it's like, my brain can only function till, till January 1st at this mm -hmm. point. It's like, that's a, that's a 2023 problem, Nick. I don't know. It'll come out. Sometime <laughs> in 2023. That's 2023 Kristen's problem. Yeah. Exactly. I keep trying, yeah. my brain keeps trying to check out a 2022. I completely understand. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I believe April 4th is correct. If that is a Tuesday. Maybe. Could be, possibly. <laughs> so we have talked a lot of Star Wars and a lot of work. And on a completely non-work-related note, we are all pet people here. And I saw online that you have a cat named Hector Smidget, which I absolutely love his name. That is fantastic. That's fantastic. I have I have two cats. I have Nymeria Patrice and I have Ernest Fitzgerald. So I love crazy names for cats. So could you tell us where his amazingly amusing name came from? Well, I love this question because I, I love a chance to talk about cats and especially my cat. I'm actually going to switch. That was a loud noise on my computer. I'm going to switch mugs for a second because this is Hector Smith's mug. Oh my goodness. Oh, how <laughs> He's cool got is the that? Cutest face. This was a lovely gift from a friend a few years back. And uh, just so happens to remind me to hydrate during the workday and, uh, you know, just throughout the day when you're at your desk and maybe forgetting important things like hydration. Um, yeah, so Hector Smidget is my ginger tabby. Um, he is 13 and I've had him since he was eight weeks old. So he and I have been Aww. through a very, you know, long I, I've had him for a long time. Uh, I have flown him cross country now five different times on five different occasions as my carry on bag. Um, he's lived every place I've ever lived on my own, uh, you know, as an adult person. And uh, he's just 
he's just my pride and joy. I love him. Uh, <laughs> and we're all pet people. So, you know, you oh, know. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So he's, uh, he has a wonderful personality too. Uh, I think, um, he's very, he's hyper vocal, which for some people would be really annoying. And uh, uh, honestly at three in the morning, it sure is. But <laughs> the rest of the time, it's kind of adorable. And he also has like this little mustache that you can kind of That's cute. Yeah. So, like a very expressive looking face. And then coupled with his mouth always being open and always shouting at me about things. Uh, you know, he just, uh, he's got a very big personality. But to answer your question, his name actually comes from when I got him from the shelter. Uh, he was called Smidget already, but they didn't spell it the same way I spell it. Um, and I, I thought it was like a cute name cause he was just like a little smidge of a thing. Like he could, he was eight weeks old. So like he could fit in the palm of your hand. It was so fuzzy, like a little peach. And <laughs> so I thought Smidget is a good name, but he's like a smidge of, of a cat. So we'll put a, a D in there. He's like a smidgen. And then one of my friends said, nah, Smidget's a dumb name. <laughs> <We're not gonna laughs> uh i'm gonna call him hector and i was like all right and then after a little while like that really started to stick and then i had another friend who was like now nah, he looks like a chuck looks like chuck and i was like all right i don't i don't know about that but eventually i thought charles hector smidget just sounded like very regal and very refined and that it made sense <laughs> love um, it you know it just makes sense that uh, to me that animals do have like two names we have two names why wouldn't they have two names um, but it's great because i'll see like various amalgamations on his like vet charts sometimes where they'll be like smidget baver do we have smidget baver out here <laughs> uh you know or he'll come in as like hector baver and i'm just like you know all all of the variations are good but what happens it. is because he has so many names sometimes people think i have like four cats over here <laughs> but it's just the one it's just uh just sweet hector smidget it's just <laughs> his extra personalities it's just, you know it's him and his his very extra personalities and uh you know his he's very food oriented he's constantly demanding to be fed uh which is kind of hysterical because i've when i first got him i had never had a cat before so i was told like oh just keep the dish full and then he got really large <laughs> and cuz he was just like overeating all the time and we had to put him on a little diet uh, but it's funny now because if if I leave town and he's home alone, someone has to come in after him. I it, like the directions for this cat are just outrageous because it'll be like, <laughs> please come in twice a day. If you put all the food out at once, he'll just eat it all at once and then get sick. Like he's not he's not about that life. He needs a very specific regimen. He has um, no control. He's extremely high maintenance in that way, but. Uh, yes, no, but he is uh, a delight. Please tell me about your animals now. Oh my goodness. So I have, I have a pit bull. She's a pit bull chocolate lab mix. Her name is Zoe Jane. So she's named after Firefly characters. Mm -hmm. um, she's nice. fantastic. And she's got the most soulful polar bear looking eyes. Wow. And yeah, there's like one brain cell behind them. Which that is much, a, huh? it's a pit bull thing. Yeah, she's gotten know, better bouncing around in there and doing good it's fine right? it's gotten better I, I feel like it's actually there 90 percent of the time now she's seven so she's actually finally like hit adult dog because oh. pitbulls have this extended adolescence yeah i can't i don't so know she, if I'm, ours is gonna make it that long <laughs> poor me i might kill herself before then um and then i have two cats i have nymeria patrice she is a solid black house panther 
And so she's Nymeria after the dire wolf from Game of Thrones and Patrice after the character from How I Met Your Mother. Mm. Yes. Because she was when she was in heat and she would howl. And I'm like, nobody asked you, Patrice. (laughs) And it stuck. Fantastic. Yeah. And then I have a tuxedo cat named Ernest Fitzgerald. So he's named after F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. His his mom and four of his siblings are polydactyls. Oh, he's not. He's not. But he was the only true tuxedo. Mm. Like his brother that has the polydactyl is a tuxedo, but he's a tuxedo tabby. And I'm like, but I want the solid tuxedo. But he's got paws that are this big. And I'm like, you should have extra toes. You just have these giant meaty feet. But he's my little dork. I love him. He's he is a very, very vocal cat and very needy. But then he will sit in our hallway and we refer to it as the Al Bundy because he sits with his back feet out and his paw across his belly. And I'm like, if you had pants, you would have your paw in your waistband. Right down there. Yeah. No, yeah. Checking it out. We are hitting all the fandoms today. Like, oh, yeah. We're just it's... checking those boxes. Firefly, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, you got to get Stargate in there somewhere. Yes. We're working on it. It's coming. <laughs> Come on, we got to do it now. So I have I have two cats. We have uh, a black, pure black. His name is Vader. And uh, he's named Vader because he's all black with a big white box on his chest. And he's a bit of a butthead. And uh, everything you described your guys' cats as, uh, Vader is very vocal. We say that he meow barks at me till Mm -hmm. I come and pay attention to him. Um, So, you know, he's my cat dog. He just, he'll bark at me with like meow bark until I come say hello to him. Um, And about three o'clock in the morning, He's out doing something with a stuffed animal. We're not going to talk about what, but he's doing something with it. And uh, and then we have another cat. His name is Seven. Um, because we were going to name him Indy for a little bit. We wanted to call him Henry, but we already had a dog named Hank years ago. And that was too close. Uh, but we wanted to call him Henry because Indiana Jones. I'm a huge Harrison Ford fan, which is also why my middle son's middle name is Harrison. Um, but he... Uh, we ended up calling him seven because he is polydactyl and he has these massive mittens on his front. He has seven toes and eight claws on each of the front of his hands. And so, cause he was a mutant. They were like, we're going to call him beast or Hank oh. you know, or, or Henry. Cause that's, you know, beast name But just, he, we came down to seven. So. He is such a marshmallow of a cat though. Yeah. He's, he's very cute. And he's fluffy and snuggly and you just want to... He's a long hair. Yeah, he's just... He just wants to... He's very cuddly until he's not. And he lets you know when he's ready to not be cuddly. Until he drops dead birds at people's feet. Yeah. There's a whole story about my neighbor I got to tell you about sometime. (laughs) But... um, And then we have two dogs. We have Mia. She's a year and a half old pit bull with half a brain cell. Because I think they get the full brain cell at two years old. It's a good thing that she is as sweet as she is. It really is. You put down them fingers. I don't want to see those. Four. Um, they don't get the full oh, brain cell until they're four. She is quite possibly the dumbest and sweetest dog I have ever met in my entire life. All she wants is love. It doesn't matter who's giving it. But my my son also has a pit bull. And when they those two dogs run side by side, side by side, rather, I swear they're sharing a brain cell, just passing it back and forth between the two of them. <laughs> like, OK, it's your turn to breathe. No, it's your turn to breathe. And, you know, that's how they keep going. 
Um, and then I also have a uh, three-year-old Corgi. Her name is Toast. Uh, her full legal name is Madam Von Toaster Strudelbutt uh, because her rear end does look like a loaf of bread. So it does. It's very much so. Like, yes. I love yeah. it. And she's like the beautiful toasted marshmallowy color. And... and she gets excited and the whole back end just starts wiggling. It's pretty oh, She soft, has a little so. stubby tail. Yeah. She's got about a two and a half inch vertical because those legs. Yeah. There's just not much to them. I haven't spent too much time with your pets. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. I don't like your pets more than I like your kids. I'm fair and, with that. And yeah. I am currently petless. <gasps> no. Sad. <laughs> our, our last cat we had was uh, C.A.T. Cinco. Uh, it was cat five because it was the fifth cat my parents have ever had. Nice. So he was a white Turkish fan. And so his fur was like he was a long hair felt like rabbit's fur type of thing so yeah wait nick you said his name was sadie cinco yes was the cat before that sadie quattro no it was mullican <laughs> okay <laughs> you're like it's the fifth cat i was like oh no are they all sadie <laughs> that would be funny, funny though no it was not sadie it was c-a-t uh but it it, it sounds spanish i see okay Okay. Nice. So as a successful writer that does what you love, what is a piece of advice that you would give to people who either want to be a writer or those that are in the media that want to write better questions? Ooh. Or what advice do you have for us to ask better questions? You know, either way, you can go wherever you want with it. (laughs) No, your questions are great. Uh, Also, I love it in the mail questions so thank you (laughs) so i think it's kind of a two-parter of advice uh because writing and asking questions aren't necessarily the same muscle i think uh so my advice to ask better questions is to worry less about the questions you're asking and listen more because i often find the best questions that come out of an interview are not the ones I necessarily thought about beforehand and wrote down, but they are the follow-up questions that come just from listening to someone's answer and seeing the way their face lights up about one particular thing. And then, you know, trying to kind of pull on that thread, even though you didn't know it was there when you were prepping. So you didn't have a question related to that. And sometimes honestly, the best questions are quite aren't questions at all, but are really just like, tell me about this thing and letting the person, you know, just, just go off whatever direction they want to go into. Um, but in terms of writing, I think the best advice there is to not, you know, nothing, if you want to be a writer, nothing is stopping you from being a writer. It's one of those very lucky things that, Uh, you know, in terms of as a hobby or as a pursuit, it doesn't take a lot of money, um, you know, to buy the equipment for it. Really, all you need is a pad of paper and a pencil or a pen. Uh, You know, it helps me personally, if I also have a computer, because I tend to think faster than my hand will go. And so I had to learn how to type very early on uh, when I was about eight or nine, because I was getting frustrated because I was trying to write my stories and I just couldn't get it down fast enough. And I was like, my brain is going at like a hundred miles an hour and my hand is really not fast enough, but I can type a lot faster. So that helps. Um, 
But, you know, it's one of those things, I think, if you want to be a writer, there's nothing to, to prevent you from being a writer. You just have to sit down and do it. And sometimes that is the hardest thing. Getting started is really, can be really difficult. <laughs> and sometimes the writing is the last part of writing that I actually want to do. I love the research. I love the prep. I love the interviews. I love talking to people. I love organizing all of my notes. And then I sit down and think, well, the last thing I have to do is actually write this thing. I guess we'll do that. <laughs> once you're in there, once you're in the zone, it can be, you know, for me, one of the the most, uh, you know, delightful experiences. But sometimes it's just that figuring out where to start. Uh, and actually, I will say just another piece of advice that I got from an editor was, you know, to let your reporting drive the story. So, you know, start with a really engaging lead, try and get people interested from the very first sentence. People are busy. They have a number of distractions. They've got other stuff going on. If you can't hook them in early, they might just put it down and walk away and go do something else. So you put a lot of thought into how you're starting those stories and how you're trying to engage people and why you're picking that sentence. Um, you know, and when I was a very young journalist, I would come up with things that I thought, yeah, this is smart. I like this. And then I would turn it into that editor and he would be like, what is this? No, <laughs> you're writing out of your head. This isn't based on anything. Tell, tell me a story, paint me a picture with the, the reporting that you've done. What have you actually learned? That's really fascinating. That will get me fascinated and interested in continuing to read this. And then I go back to my notes and find, you know, one interesting thing or something that, you know, as the person was telling me the story, put a picture in my head or just trying to paint a picture with words of what I was seeing as a reporter, you know, out on assignment, um, you know, and start from there instead of just like, oh, I'm so clever. Look at this turn of phrase. <laughs> nice. Well, Kristen, I personally have to get going. So I really enjoyed talking with you and somebody's going to oh, go see oh, Avatar. Oh, oh no. all right. <laughs> Sorry. And it's in 3D too. So Ooh, all right. The only way to watch any avatar is in 3D. Yeah. There so I, I really Have appreciate it. Have fun, Nick. We expect a full report you, later. So. All right. Yes. No, thank you so much, Nick. Yep. Take care. Bye. And now a word from our sponsor. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. Welcome back to the FSF Popcast. All right, now we can have fun That now that Nick is gone. Yes. <laughs> All right, so Krista, we have a, a large Facebook group and uh, that follows us. We have, it's about 208,000 members currently. Uh, so they're and growing every day. Uh, we also put it out to our Twitter followers as well. That's not such a big group, but we're getting there. We're growing. Uh, but we asked them if they had any questions specifically for you about either your work or you personally or whatever. And so here are two questions we have from you that we selected out of the bunch. Okay. The first one is from uh, our, our new friends over at Across the Stars podcast. I had the fortune of being on their show. They're a lot of fun. 
talking about some uh, some cool Star Wars stuff with them. But they would like to ask if you could have any character write an article for your website, who would it be, and what would you hope the article to be about? That is a surprisingly tough question. So I'm going to go with my knee jerk reaction. All right. And that is a character called uh, Rill Dyro. She is a reporter uh, in the High Republic. She has a droid and uh, a, a cybernetic enhancement that helps her to capture all of the information. So I think she would do a really well-reported article for my website. Perfect. Uh, and she would absolutely be on the front lines of some breaking news story. So it would be, uh, you know, wherever she is in the galaxy, I trust that she would come up with some really amazing coverage. Um, in the books, she famously covers the uh, the destruction of the Republic Pharaoh Valo in the High Republic series. Um, All so right. I suspect she might write something about that. But you know what? She's been around. She's probably written some other articles. So you know, where whatever she pitches to me is probably the the article I'm going to agree to. All right, cool. I like that answer. All right, now the other one comes from our good friend, Anna. Uh, her and her partner, Sam, run a, uh, another podcast called Growing Up Skywalker, which is a chronological review of uh, all things Star Wars. It's kind of one of those neat shows where he's been around Star Wars all his life. She is brand new to the Star Wars universe and seeing everything for the first time. It's so cool. It's a, such a cool one. And, and they come on every, every month. We have a, a Star Wars RPG that we play. And uh, Sam is one of our characters. He comes on and he, he, he does that. And Sam and Anna have both been on our show uh, quite a few times. We love having them involved uh, with our podcast. But because she has this new this perspective of being a new fan, uh, she has a really, some really cool questions. And I really like this one she wanted to ask you. Has the experience of being a woman who loves Star Wars changed over time? I think the experience has changed a little bit in terms of there is, there are more female characters now uh, you know, to, to choose from in terms of if you're a person who watches it and it looks for a representation of yourself and a reflection of yourself, uh, there are a lot of really strong and amazing characters for that. Um, but what's interesting is when I was a kid, uh, I loved Leia, but Leia was not my favorite character. Leia was not the character that I actually saw myself most in. It was Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've never really judged it very much based on kind of those standard gender lines. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's another thing that I've thought a lot about in terms of, you know, when my sister and I were kids, we had a lot of action figures that at the time would have been marketed as toy boy toys you know mm -hmm. in the boy aisle. and we had a lot of toys that were marketed as girl toys um but our parents were just i think uh wonderful feminists who didn't care about any of that and were very supportive of just you love whatever you love and whatever you're interested in you know here you go so we had he-man next to our strawberry shortcakes and we had our star wars action figures and we had our you know giant one-to-one -one baby doll type toys and mm -hmm. we just had you know just everything. Well, that's cool. Yeah. For me personally, I, you know, clearly I'm, I am not a woman, uh, <gasps> but I am raising Shock. one. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's awesome that now I have the opportunity because, and no offense to princess Leia, but in the original trilogy, she's kind of overlooked as a main character. She's there, but you know, and you see 
parts of her personality where you're like, man, she could be really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's given more credence in the, in the sequel trilogy, to be honest with you about how important she was to the original trilogy. But I love the fact that, you know, through uh, the, the prequel trilogy, the animated series, a lot of the new stuff that we have coming out, there are so many more characters where I can point them to my daughter and go, look, here's some really cool star Wars characters that you can look at. And maybe these people will be inspiration to you. Like, you know, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker were for me when I was a kid, you know, for me, uh, as a father of, of a young woman, it's, it's kind of a cool aspect for me to be able to look at that and see that there's opportunity for her to be able to say, Oh man, Ray is so cool. Uh, Cause I think Ray is so cool. Ray is uh, so cool. <laughs> she is <laughs> Ray Skywalker. Thank you. And um, you know, I love the fact that there's Ahsoka and there's all these other awesome characters for, for young women to be able to look at and say, you know what, you know, this is part of my star Wars fandom now mm-hmm. and be able to use that, you know, in growing up, I just think that's a cool, uh, real reality that we have now that was not there you know 20 some odd years ago maybe right you know i think it was there but it was more sometimes it was more subtext than text at times like this is something i realized as i was going back and working on the skywalker biography you know it's like leia becomes a general for the uh rebellion very early on you know somewhere between a new hope and um empire strikes back so, you know, she's already very much you know, in that position of power in the bunker on Hoth. Uh, right. But it's not something that's necessarily, you know, comes out in the dialogue or is, you know, discussed in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is d- definitely a lot more, I think, text over subtext now in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're also seeing a lot of just representation across the board uh, to allow more fans, no matter where you're coming from, to see yourself, which is so important. Um, but, you know, another thing that I think is extremely important is, uh, you know, the way modern contemporary storytelling, you know, Star Wars and beyond Star Wars addresses masculinity and, you know, some of those aspects of our culture and society um, so that you can have someone like Din Djarin, who's super tough and you would not want to get into a fight with him because you'll probably lose but he can also be just, you know, so compassionate and loving with Grogu and, you know, have that aspect mm-hmm. of his. Part. Yeah, the caring father figure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not it's a lot more complex characters, I think, now versus, you know, uh, this character. Agreed. You know, although I will say, I think Star Wars has done that pretty well from the beginning. Um, you know, in terms of exploring that Han Solo wasn't just the rogue sc- scoundrel. He also did have a heart. You know, he did care about things. He does go on that arc and that journey and, and figure that out. Um, but allowing, you know, for more complexity and more representation across the board. Very nice. Yeah. So I've noticed that in the Star Wars fandom that there are a lot of differing opinions. Um, I feel like a lot of the time we refer to Star Wars as being one of the most toxic fandoms, which is sad on some level. Like, I I mean, on every level, it's sad. But growing up as a girl who liked Star Wars, it wasn't the, it wasn't okay for a girl to want to be the main character. You, no, you have to go and be the side character. And even through that, there are people who love Jar Jar. There are people who don't love Jar Jar. There are people who thought that the Darth Jar Jar storyline should be a real thing. So I was wondering if you have a controversial Star Wars opinion something that you know other people aren't going to agree with. 
I don't think I really do. Uh, because I think there's something, there's something to love in, in everything, uh, for me, at least. Like I, I always find not every Star Wars is going to be my personal favorite Star Wars, but cause it can't be like, they can't all right. be right. Loved. But, you know, there's always something that really resonates and that I love about it. And I think I also try to, to keep in mind that, uh, you know, even if you if I have to rank the films, you know, whatever my last ranked movie is, you know, that day, because the ranking always changes. Sure. <laughs> How I'm feeling, what I'm what I'm interested in, what I just watched. But whatever my last ranked movie is, is somebody's top ranked movie. Like for everybody, you know, there is a different experience and it's a very personal experience. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't think I really have a have a controversial opinion i think Although, even well, though i think even though you're you're not having a controversial opinion and being like no because my least ranked movie might still be somebody's most ranked movie is still somehow in the star wars fandom going to be a controversial opinion <laughs> a little bit yeah probably <laughs> although i will say like it does make me sad to hear stories about people who you know felt like they were you're told oh you can't like this mm-hmm. you know when they were kids and mm-hmm. i don't uh you know, I was just never told that, or if I was lucky enough to be, you know, brought up in such a way that I had like some kind of like armor against it, because I don't really remember that as part of my own experience. I do remember getting challenged to like trivia contests, which I thought were fun because I was good at it because I memorized a lot of Star Wars facts. And now in hindsight, I'm like, wait, was that somebody like kind of testing to see if I was a real fan? Maybe. Oh, yeah. You're getting gatekeeped. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, well, I'm glad it didn't register as that to me when I was a kid because it just registered to me as, yeah, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to win this trivia contest. I know all the things like. Well, yeah. Whatever the kid feel that was hold my beer. I guess hold my root beer. Right. Hang on. Like I, <laughs> I got it. Yeah. My husband dealt with it even with I mean, we we live 20 minutes away from where he grew up. And he's seen people that he went to high school with, that he went to school with, wearing Star Wars t-shirts. And he's like, You tried to beat me up for that in school. You thought that Star Wars was the stupidest thing. You picked on me for being a nerd and you're going to wear a Star Wars shirt and talk about taking your kids to Star Wars movies. He's like, that's not, that's not fair. <laughs> like, you know, I think fandom in general though, has become so much more mainstream in the last. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, sure. 20 years um, than ever before. And some of it was that people who grew up loving something continued to love it into adulthood and continued to, to get to, collect it or you know express that in some way whether it's creating a podcast or uh you know having an amazing collection of lightsabers from star wars you know or whatever that whatever that fandom is um and then to go to conventions and see other people who are exactly like you Ooh, i like that there's a prop happening <laughs> i just can't reach the other ones <laughs> okay yeah so it was like are you about i'd to- use the force but i can't get them to fly off the wall over here to me fair. that's fair yeah. I can just reach my daughter's lightsaber. I can't reach mine. They're up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, but yeah, it has become a lot so, more not... mainstream. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, it's a great answer, honestly, because I think that there's been so many positive changes when it comes to the fandom that have allowed for the expansion of, of other people to be involved and, and see the fun and, and join the fun. And there's always going to be somebody 
there's always going to be that one guy who thinks he has to gatekeep everybody else because mm-hmm. it's mine and I was here first or whatever that goes through their brain. I don't know, but I'm glad that I'm glad that there are people who have the 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 outlook that you do and that that there's that appreciation for for all things and you know there's room for everyone. That's the thing, you know. Yeah. I don't have to like everything about Star Wars that somebody else likes. Somebody else doesn't have to like all the things about Star Wars that I like. That's just the way it works. You know, that's why they're called likes and dislikes. Yeah. Um, and even just a little back, we we do uh, every Wednesday, we do a five at five. You know, there's five reasons to watch this or not watch this or whatever. And I ranked my top five Star Wars. That was the hardest episode that I have, I think I've ever put together because trying to, to trying to, I knew what number one was past that. It was like, well, how do I feel about them today? Because, you know. Right. Um, and I think even in that, like your number three was actually two of the movies. It possibly was. Yeah. Well, uh, I always run into when it's like, if I have to try and rank my favorite Star Wars movies, it's like Empire is usually pretty firmly number one. And that doesn't really yeah. work because it has so much like nostalgia tied into it too, where it's like, even as much as I love and appreciate the, the films that came after that, it's like that one is just always you know, top tier for me for, for very personal reasons. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. what I'd like to say is number two is all of the others, because I don't know after that, like, it's hard to choose after that top. Right. It's such, it's, it's such a floating scale. It is. You know, one day, one day could be, you know, Rogue One might be my number two movie. One day it might be uh, The Last Jedi. You know, it, it it all depends because there's there's so many things I like about this movie. And then I'm like, man, but the, the, that day I, I got done watching this movie because that's pretty much what I do. I watch Star Wars all the time. And, um, you know, so that day I'm like, man, I just got done watching Return of the Jedi. So uh, number two today is Return of the Jedi. So, yeah. Well, it's something interesting that I find happens for me personally as a fan of Star Wars as well is, uh, you know, in the last seven years or so, I got more into reading the books and the books became more specifically tied to what's happening in other parts of Star Wars storytelling. You know, so it does more expand on things like Bloodline expands on Leia's story as you're getting into The Force Awakens mm-hmm. and kind of some of those gaps, you know, things like that. Um, so what I find is sometimes what is is what is um, inspiring a change in my personal list, and I think this is what you were saying too, Tim, is you know i just read a book and i think oh wow this just this changes my outlook on this character and then i rewatch something and mm-hmm. it's a totally different experience i cannot wait to rewatch rogue one now that i've seen andor mm-hmm. as when i saw rogue one the first time i was not you know the bit personally the biggest cassian fan um it wasn't that i disliked him it was just that he didn't resonate as much as some of the other characters i was like team Bodhi for some reason <laughs> i was like let's get more Bodhi stories um you know and so then they announced andor and i thought oh, okay yeah no i all right we'll see what happens there and then i love that show so much that now i need to go back right. and see how has it changed when i look at cassian when i see what he's going through in that film you know how does that impact my enjoyment of viewing it now because i know so much more about this character yeah that's a problem i'm having right now because i'm in my I think my umpteenth watch to watch through of the uh, the Clone Wars, and I'm trying to get through that in time so that I can have that finished and be ready to and, and watch season one of the Bad Batch. So that on January fourth, when Bad Batch season two comes out, I'm ready to start fresh and be there. So yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so much, and I enjoy uh, it. Where are you in your Clone Wars rewatch? What's that? Where are you in your Clone Wars rewatch? Uh. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I'm only in season two. Uh, oh, no. So 
<laughs> yeah. I, but I'm all, I'm almost at the end of season two. I I you could make it. I just don't need to sleep. So there you go. Yeah. Or be a parent don't or do anything. People, don't eat. Well, do eat, I guess. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, I can eat and watch the show at the same time. Exactly. Be exactly. Yeah, so. that, is, that is tough. But but kudos to you for for trying to do the massive rewatch. Um, I'm so excited for Bad Batch season two. Uh, you know, I think there's probably like if you have to cut it, there's probably like some essential episodes to just refresh yourself on that you could like really. I've uh, I've already been going through and making a list. Okay, these yeah. are the ones I need to watch here. These are the ones I need to watch here, and then and then just power through Bad Batch season one. If by uh, the week of Christmas, if I haven't gotten down to where I need to get to, that's what I'm gonna do. I'll have some essential episodes and uh, um, season one of Bad Batch to push through. But totally. past that, yeah, totally. That's the game plan anyway. Yeah, I'm so excited for Bad Batch season two. Uh, like giggly I- excited. I've just been shouting about Gunji a lot. <laughs> that teaser trailer. Yes. Like I'm just oh, yeah. jazzed that you know season one and a lot of other Star Wars storytelling too. Like there's all that overlap, you know, where where characters mm-hmm. go from other places show up over here. I had a really interesting kind of backwards uh introduction to Ahsoka because I came I came in to watching Rebels before I watched the Clone Wars. So I watched oh, okay. it. I was like, oh, everyone's so excited about this character. Okay. And then I had to like figure out why. And then of course, you know, I went back and watched all Clone Wars and now I've rewatched it, uh, you know, a number of times since then, but it was weird to kind of experience it from that like 180 mm-hmm. of uh, not already having that connection to that character, but seeing her and seeing how important she was and seeing other people respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like with, Gun- some people are going to have that for Gunji if they didn't watch that the Clone Wars or if they didn't see that arc or maybe it just didn't resonate uh, with them in that same way. Right. That now people are going insane because there he is and he's he survived apparently. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yes. I was excited during, during the trailer. I was like, oh, he's back. Right. <laughs> and I'm just so glad they also confirmed it was him because. I was like, oh no, what if it's a different Wookiee and you know, everybody's getting excited about Gunji. But I think there was like something maybe in like the the captioning or something that Yeah. I think, or maybe they just confirmed it at the I think the closed captioning, if you had that on. Yeah. I think that had it. So all right, Kristen, you have made it this far through the process that is the FSF podcast. What we have next for you is a quiz. Since, you know. It's not a gatekeeping quiz. It's just a fun quiz. So it's four questions. I did think of a controversial Star Wars opinion, though, through this conversation. Oh, yeah. Go for it. My controversial Star Wars opinion is that Max Rebo only has two legs. I'm just going to drop it on that. Love it. Love it. I'm sitting near the maquette, which confirms this, too. Like the, the maquette replica that has the two legs. Um, and then, of course, uh-huh. you know, if you had any of the Hasbro action figure renditions, you know that he popped out of his red ball jet organ and ha- somehow had little legs under there and then his arms. But no, in my mind, little nubbies, two limbs. There you go. Fantastic. Bust. <laughs> like it. I love it. All right. So, yeah, so this is a four question quiz. Okay. All questions are multiple choice. Yeah. Okay. So- uh, if you get 
three of the questions correct, we want to send you the book that Kathleen's going to hold up. Yay. It's called Custodians of the Cosmos. It's actually written by Nick's dad. Um, uh, he he has donated some of those books uh, for us to give to our guests. And it's kind of, it's where the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund comes from. So uh, it's all about a young man who wanted to join something quite like Starfleet, but not Starfleet, you know, litigious reasons. Mm. And uh, he washed out and uh, decided to rejoin as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who had boldly just went. So, but it's all right. It's, Sorry, I just I re- opened up to a random page and it was the, oh, where did it go? If they didn't get his stomach pumped soon, they'd be scrubbing grot worms off the ceiling. <laughs> so yeah, there's some fun there. Uh, yeah. But if you get three of the four questions correct, we'd like to send you that book. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a good read. Okay, so. I'm ready. Ready for this quiz. All right. Question number one. Wait, but what what happens if she doesn't? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. If you only get two of the questions correct, we take a picture of you. We put make a meme out of you and we put it in that Facebook group we referenced earlier. So and it's, but go on. I'm getting there, Kathleen. Just, it's, called... it's called It's called Mute You. It's called the fun sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it's our fun sequence. We make we okay. make a fun meme out of you. We put you in the in the group. Like and uh, uh, so far, everybody who's had a meme, uh, there's not been been very many, but uh, it's it's a nice elite club. So all right. Well, I'm happy with either way, either direction this goes. I'm excited. All right, fantastic. All right. So question number one: What was Finn's stormtrooper number? Was it FN two three one nine? Was it FN two seven eight one? Or was it FN2187? FN2187. Very good. I was kind of hoping to catch you with a 2319, but you got it. All right. 2319. 2319. Question number two. What is the name of General Grievous's flagship, which was not mentioned in the movie? Mm. A, the Invisible Hand. B, the Invisible Touch. Or C, the Invisible Cloak. Ooh, I think it's A. Is it A? The Invisible Hand. You are correct. Ooh. All right. That was tricky. That was a good one. Yay. Yeah, with, with each invisible, I thought, but what if? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But what if? And hear me out. Uh, all right. Question three. At what age did Padme Amidala become queen? Was it 18, 14, or 13? All right, I feel like I have a leg up on this because I wrote Skywalker Family at Work. Uh, you probably do. I'm going to say 14. 14 is correct. And that gets you a book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and now to totally put Tim's quiz to shame. You shush. Question number four. Darth Tyrannus is also known as A. Qui-Gon Jinn B. Mace Windu or C, Count Dooku. C, Count Dooku. Woo-hoo! All right. Very good. I, I think the thing is that she knew all the answers to the quiz. At least she didn't stand with me where I had to like, could you just let us get the questions out? Right. <laughs> Sam, Sam absolutely demolished it. Oh, my I, gosh. He it, was, it was borderline I embarrassing. I believe it. And I, you know, and I knew that going into it because he has such a depth of Star Wars knowledge. Yeah. I actually threw really hard questions at him. And he was like, yeah, it's this. I'm like, yeah, but we didn't even we didn't even get a chance to give you the options. Could you we give us get to the multiple choice? 
I would not voluntarily get into a Star Wars trivia showdown with that man. No. He will demolish. Like he knows all kinds of just like deep lore things that are the kind of things that my my brain doesn't save and would need to cross-reference if I were working on something that related Mm. to it. So yeah, no, but but, I'm just just going to those four. Very nicely done. A little scary there. (laughs) Well done, you. Worried, Kristen. Thank you so much for being on our show with us today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you, your books, and your other content? Yes, so you can find me most Thursdays on StarWars.com and the Star Wars YouTube channel as the host of This Week in Star Wars. I write a number of articles for StarWars.com as the associate editor, and I am also on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive at Kristen Baver. And next year, I'm currently on all of your your bookshelves, wherever books are sold with Skywalker Family at War, The Art of Star Wars, The High Republic, Star Wars Year by Year, and World of Reading, Galaxy of Creatures. I love to give that one a little nudge because uh, it's it's a, a, a great early reader that I had the chance to work on. And next year, I will also be on your bookshelves with Star Wars Timelines and Star Wars Weird Objects. And I hope I didn't miss any of my book children. <laughs> We are definitely going to link starwars.com and your socials so that people can find you. They can follow you. They can read your amazing content and they can find out for sure when your new book is coming out. Excellent. There we go. We also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Kristen Baver here today to have this uh, fun conversation and have funny moments for you to listen to. So please do hit the subscribe button that you see down at the bottom of the screen. That is going to be a big help to us. And be sure to go check out Kristen's work as well. You will not be disappointed. It's highly rated for a reason. Go check it out, kiddos. But if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Kristen's editor. But our problem is we have to figure out whether it's the book editor, the website editor, or the magazine editor. You see, we don't know which area the danger is coming from. Do they follow the rule of two with a master and an apprentice? Or will they band together for honor and bring us the danger we fear? Either way, all you have to do is bring your complaint forms in duplicate The editors will sort it out. Don't worry. They're really good at removing mistakes and making sure they can't be found. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you know what we mean. Yeah, that's not worrisome at all. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Kristen, thanks again. We do appreciate you coming on and, and and sharing some time with us. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSFpopcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.